morning. Wow. Either y'all are really in the moment or you're worried about spreading some sort of germ by saying something too loud. Good morning. All right, there we go. I mean, hello, I'm the germ-phobe up here, and I'm here. Uh, any any first-time visitors here? You don't have to raise your hand because I know. Oh, okay. Why on Swine Flu Sunday? I was thinking, would anybody show up to a public gathering? Um, but that that's awesome. Uh, great. Good to have you here. I'm sorry to call you out. I was just actually rhetorical because um, I get very nervous when people look at me, which is ironic, isn't it? <laughs> um, everyone look over there. Uh, so we are uh, in the uh, the middle of the third week of an, a new series entitled uh, TGC, The Great Commitment, uh, at the end of which we're going to ask you to spit in your hand and shake each other's hands um, and make a commitment. Uh, yeah, I know I could go on and on with this swine stuff. It's uh, been making me laugh all week long, and I'll get into why a little bit later. Uh, but I wanted to touch back with last week uh, for a moment. Last week, if you remembered, we uh, we were talking about having passion in Christ, and you know, that moving from salvation into this, this fullness of life and what that means and what that means expressed through worship. And y'all actually are 930 people, so you got the benefit of seeing the dress rehearsal, as I always like to call 930, um, and not the, the, the 11 o'clock service. And at the 11 o'clock, we turned everything around and they did one worship song, and then I did the sermon, and then we did the rest of the worship service, the rest of the worship package, if you will. And it was cool. Um, because y'all on the last song were fired up and you just exploded on that last song, but we didn't give you really enough time to move in that worship passion moment. Um, and so we changed it at 11 and, uh, I think it went really well. That was Daryl's idea. Um, and he told me about it. Unlike the I surrender all, um, which I just walk up here and I'm like, why are you still here? August? She said, he told me to stay. Um, <clears throat> so we just do what Daryl tells us is the moral of that story. Because he's six six, but um, we went to a conference um, this week, Monday through Wednesday in Austin, and it's a conference I've been to over the past couple of years, and it's in a different town every every year. This year it was in Austin and um, at the Paramount Theater there, and Andy Crouch was one of the presenters. And you may not be familiar with Andy Crouch. Some of you might have read some of his books. If you're in kind of church leadership or the world of church, you will probably know that name. He is a pastor from Georgia, and he is really big in the culture of church. Um, He's really into how the church responds to the culture of our world and what our place should be. And he has a lot to say about it, and it shaped my uh, way of thinking a good deal. But one of the things he said is, uh, we were there with, okay, these are people who are on fire for God, right? I mean, these people are passionate about Jesus Christ. It is This is, I would say, the cutting edge of Christian conferences. And that sounds kind of funny, but when you go there, everyone looks like Daryl. Just to let you know, they're all dressed like Daryl. They're all, you know, it's all that kind of person. Not like me. I walk in there, I was wearing um, fishing shirts, and I was walking in there, I was like the dorkiest dude there. That was okay. Actually, Andy Crouch was. But, so he and I were uh, sitting in the very back of the theater at one point, which is where our group sat the entire time. He was right behind us. And the dude sings with a passion, just, ah, it's not very good, but he sings with a passion, just all out singing. And he tries to go into these harmonies that, you know, not all the time he hits. And, and it was very revealing to me that as I looked out over this, this group of Christian leaders, of uh, worship leaders, of youth pastors, of pastors, of people who write movies in the Christian area, of people who write books, of, it's a wide variety of people that are there. There was like five of us that were standing up 
during the worship time. And the worship was led by this guy named David Hodges. And you might have heard of him. He was in a little band called Evanescence. Um, you might have known that band. It was a big band. Um, and he no, he no longer is with him. But he's kind of a big deal. And he's playing this, has an incredible voice. He's playing the piano, just beautiful leading of worship. And here are all these people just sitting down. And I was judging them. Because I was in the back standing with Linda Marceau, who was also standing with me, and Andy Crouch. And, and then you look forward and there's like two other people standing. Daryl wasn't standing. I would have noticed because he's so large. And I was like, I mean, I just preached on this. And you're the people who should get it. Every now and then you'd see an arm up. And then, you know, Jesus was scoring. Touchdown. Nothing. Um, and then Andy got up a little bit later. I think it was the next day. He got up and he was introducing someone else. And he was talking about worship. And he said, he said, I go to a lot of churches around the country and, and I'm in them on Sunday mornings. And the way I, I really judge a church and get a feel for a church is their decibel level. And he said, not that decibel level, because you can just jack it up as high as you want. He said, but that decibel level, the level coming from the congregation. And he said, And what I've realized is that the higher the decibel level, the higher the trust level is in that congregation. And man, that hit me right there. I was like, whoa. I've never thought of it like that. And then it it was one of those moments where everything just, like in uh, Usual Suspects, where everything just starts coming together with uh, that guy at the very end of the movie. Nobody? Nothing? All right. Where's Christopopoulos? Okay. Um, so that, it was kind of one of those moments for me where it all started coming together. And I was like, the reason I don't raise my hand all the time is a trust issue. It's not a passion issue. I have the passion for Jesus Christ. It's a trust issue. And that's something that I have to work on in myself. That I have to, I have to come to a point where I trust you people. Strangely enough. Isn't that kind of weird? But really, that's what it is. And a lot of times, y'all are great with the decibel level, so you get it. And I was like, because I get a, it's like if you're not really raising your hands and you're not really into it. But that's not it. That's not it. It's a trust thing. It's, it's wanting to come to a place where you're accepted and known and loved. And I know we've come a good deal on that in here. But I think we're still moving that direction. And so, one, sorry for last week. But two... This goes nicely into today. This, this wanting to belong and to be known and to be loved and to be a part of something. Just, I mean, I love how, when God is at work. <laughs> That's cool. John chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, open it up. Actually, I forgot to say. Get your Bibles out and open up John chapter 14. Um, John chapter 14, uh, verse 15 is where I am. Jesus is speaking. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you do because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as an orphan. I will come to you. In just a little while, the world will not see me again. But you will. For I will live again, and you will too. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
Those who obey my commandments are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them. And I will reveal myself to each one of them. And then turn to Romans chapter 8. I have it marked and I can't find it. That was Ephesians, by the way. I I don't like it, so I get rid of it every now and then. Romans chapter 8, it's uh, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Listen to that. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into His family, calling Him Father, Abba, Father. For His Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we will share His treasures. For everything God gives to His Son, Christ, is ours too. You're not an orphan. You're a child of God. And man, there's a big difference there. Big difference. When I say the word orphan, some of you may think of, I don't know, please, sir, may I have some more? It's pretty good, wasn't it? I practiced that all morning long. Or, it's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life for Nobody? Little Orphan Annie, come on! Nobody wants to join in. That's such a great trip. You think of those type things. You think, orphans are, you know, in our day and age when, I don't know, we live an individualistic life, a self-centered life. The term orphan has kind of lost some of its power. But let me tell you about what was going on when Jesus was talking. When Jesus was speaking and telling these things, you're not going to be an orphan. Okay, that was huge to the disciples. Huge. Because in Greek mythology, and Roman mythology, there was a great, great fear of being an orphan. There were lots of stories about orphans and those things, and they were really scared of being orphans. It was a huge fear. A huge fear of being an orphan. To be a child of someone was huge. In fact, it was so big when, when someone would, would be adopted in the Roman world, when someone would be adopted, they would, everything, that, uh, everything about them before the moment that they were adopted ceased to exist. Their life as an orphan no longer existed. It was this moment forward. You are now a child of this family. You now belong to someone. You are, as Paul says in Romans, an heir. You're an heir. You will experience the treasures of whatever family is there. I mean, the thing about it was, if you were an orphan, or Paul you know, kind of talks about slaves, if you were somebody on the outside of something, you weren't guaranteed anything. You weren't guaranteed anything in life, a place to put your head down, food, clothing, nothing, because you didn't belong. You were an outsider. So your life at every moment was at risk. So you fought for everything. You grabbed hold of things. You amassed things. You were worried about what was going to come. Constantly worried. But as a child belonging to a family, you didn't have that fear. You didn't have that fear because you already had a home. No matter where you went in the world, you had a home. 
you had people supporting you and loving you. At the end of the day, you were part of something. And nothing could ever separate you from that. So when Jesus says to the disciples, he's preparing them. I'm going away and you're going to be freaked out. But I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm not leaving you as orphans. Because you're a child of God. So what does that imply? Don't worry. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. Because you belong. You're not going to be cast aside. You're not going to be thrown out at the city gate. You're not going to be left behind. Because you're a child of God. You're a child of God, and everything that God has given me, He will give to you. A few years ago, they took me out of the hospital rotation, um, not because people were getting sicker when I would visit them, as some people like to exclaim. It's a few reasons. One, I spent a lot of time in hospitals over the past few years for my own family, and I didn't like going to them. But the biggest reason, I think, for me is... Germs. Yeah, germs. Freak out over germs. I walk in hospitals and I like walk like this. I don't want to really talk to anyone. I don't want to shake hands with anyone because you don't know who's carrying that germ from the guy right down the hall. And some of you who don't understand the germ phobia thing think that I'm a little strange right now. But you have your own little things. Yeah, the doctor over there is going, yeah, you are strange. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I would just... It was kind of one of those things, and it made me so uncomfortable to go in there that David finally said, this is killing you, isn't it? I was like, it really is, David. I just dread going to the hospitals. I dread going in and sitting down next to somebody who is in a, you know, a sick, whatever it is. Even if you have a broken leg, going into a hospital to visit you after you get your screws in or something, I'm like, gosh, there's so many things. I can just see the germs. I have, I'm like Oprah with the blue light going around like this, seeing all these different things. And I would get so freaked out by it. So this swine flu thing that has come up recently, you might have heard about it. Um, I could care less. I didn't, have, I didn't hesitate one bit, one iota to send my children to school. I didn't hesitate one little second to go into this big mass gathering of people that were in this conference in a closed environment. There was a point in time where we were in a little small group and we were going around introducing ourselves and these two guys introduced themselves as being from Matamoros, Mexico, and everybody kind of backed away. <laughs> it was more of just kind of a joke to them. Um, they were a little bitter about that. Uh, <laughs> we're just kidding. You're a child of God. But I haven't really been worried about it at all. I mean, the, the little hand sanitizer stuff back there, I, I joked this morning that I've put enough of that hand sanitizer stuff on, on myself in my life that it no longer has effect on me. Like, I need super hand sanitizer now because my body has grown accustomed to it. And, it, you know, that's like just bad lotion now. But I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about the current economic situation. It, it is what it is. You know, eventually we're going to turn around. If we don't, all right. Disciples had it worse than I do. There are people around the world that have it much worse than I do. And I know where my inheritance lies. It's up there. 
I know one day that I will know, I will have no concerns. There will be no sickness. There will be no war. There will be no violence. There will be none of that. Because I'm a child of God. Because I have a father who loves me so much and so desperately and deeply that he sent his son to die for me. Because I'm his child. I mean, I have a, I have a dad. <laughs> Surprise. And uh, I love my dad. I have a great father. He was uh, very strict growing up, very stern. He grew up in a very uh, strict household. He became the man of the family. Um, early on in his life, his dad died when he was five. He has four sisters. And they didn't have plumbing in their house till his junior year of high school. They didn't. I think they got the phone the next year. Um, it was a big couple of years for their house, you know, plumbing and the phone. Yes, uh, life is good. Uh, and, you know, we cry about our download speeds. Uh, but he, you know, he, he walked to school. And, you know, your, your parents always tell you these stories, if you're of a certain generation, your parents are, of how they, the hardships they had to live in. And my dad was born in the Great Depression. Um, I'm the baby of our family. And, and uh, you know, you had to walk to school uphill both ways, and it snowed every day. I was like, Dad, you lived outside of Fort Worth. It didn't snow every day. Um, and so he took me one day to show me where he went to school because the, the great story that he always used to tell us was how he had to cross a creek to get to school. And he said he would throw, he would hurl his books over this creek, he and this other guy, and then they would cross this creek and get over there. Now, some of you are going, yeah, right, this is a story that fathers tell. And it very well indeed might be. But one day, just to prove it to me, he took me there, showed me the old schoolhouse or what was left of it. It's just kind of a, a rumbled foundation. You know, really, it could be just some barn that he found one day while driving. He's like, dude, I'm going to take Michael over here and tell him this story. Um, but indeed, there is a creek uh, that runs right next to it. And I knew where his house was growing up. And so it was plausible that he did that. He was the first one in his, uh, in his family to go to college and to get a degree. The rest of them were farmers. He was the first one to move outside of the state of Texas. Like the only one who has ever lived anywhere but the Metroplex. He is uh, the only one in the family who has gone on to do so many different things that he's done. I'm so proud of him. And a lot of who I am is because of him. A lot of the way that I act and my interactions with people and the things that I know and the man that I am and the character that I have is because of my father, Don Crocker. I got to tell you, though, he's failed me. There have been times where I've been really disappointed in him. There have been times when, when I felt like he didn't have my best interest in heart. And I know maybe that's not the case, and I didn't see what was going on. I didn't understand. But there have been those moments where he's let me down. Because he's just a guy. He's a great man, but he's just a guy. He's just a human. I talk stories about my father. Some of you may not know your father. Some of you may have no idea who your father is. Maybe, maybe you're adopted. Maybe... I don't know what the circumstance is. I know when I was a teacher that it was not uncommon for me to have kids in my class who didn't know who their father was. 
It was not uncommon to have kids in my class who had fathers that would abuse them or fathers that would neglect them in some way. Let's face it, we live in a broken and fallen world. The good news is that Jesus didn't leave us here to that. The good news is that Jesus said, you have a father in heaven. You are not an orphan. You are a child of God. You have been adopted into God's family. And whatever happened before is now gone because you are a child of God. You have an inheritance that nothing in this world can touch. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you read these words of Jesus and you read those words of Paul and you're living your life as an orphan, stop it. You're a child of God. You have a father who loves you. A father who can't even come close to letting you go because he loves you so much. You need to live your life in a way. You need to live your life like a child of God, not like an orphan. Trying to fight for everything you have and trying to worry about what you can amass and what you can get on this world. Live your life in the peace and the peace that comes with knowing the Father. Live your life as a child of God. That song that we sang right before Marvelous Light was uh, Never Let Go. No, it wasn't. It was Marvelous Light. And I never can read their little writings up here. I once was fatherless, a stranger with no hope. Your kindness wakened me, wakened me from my sleep. Your love, it beckons deeply. A call to come and die. By grace now I will come and take this life and take your life. See, that's the difference between having an earthly father and a heavenly father. God dwells inside of me. God dwells inside of me. Jesus says, I'm sending an advocate for you. I'm sending a counselor. I'm going to go away, yes. But as children of God, I'm sending back the Spirit, the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. Not only am I not fatherless, I have the Father living inside of me. We need to wake up to that realization that we are children of God and we need to live our lives that way. Because if we begin to do that, if you begin to live your life as a child of God, I guarantee that it will change the way you live your life. It will change the way you deal with your family. It will change the way you deal with everyone you come into contact with. You are a child of God. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the fact that we can say that. Father, that you are our Father. That you are the one who created us in our mother's womb. That you have known us from the beginning of time. And you will always know us. God, we ask that you would awaken in us the realization that the Spirit dwells inside of us. That we are no longer orphans in this land 
this world that looks out for itself. But we belong to a family. We belong to a family with a Father who loves us more than we ever can imagine and who has given us an inheritance far beyond our wildest dreams. God, we thank you for that. I ask that you would unleash that knowledge, unleash that realization on the hearts of the body, Lord. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.